This is Sports in the 90s with your hosts, Dave Smith and Carlos Vega. I break bread with the Hennessy one. And welcome to another episode of Sports in the 90s, a 90s sports history podcast covering everything in the world of sports from January 1st, 1990 until December 31st, 1999. My name is Dave Smith, and with me is my co-host, Carlos Vega. This podcast is a narrative and conversational podcast in one. Every episode, I will be telling a different story. Carlos may know bits and pieces of the story, but we'll be hearing it the way I present it for the first time along with the listeners, so his reactions will be genuine. Carlos, welcome to Club 39. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. It's good to be a part of the club. Yeah, last year in my 30s, bro. Can't complain, man. Last year, you know, 38 was great, but 39, I'm feeling fine like wine. There you go. You had a good weekend? Uh, I did, yeah, man. If you could tell, my voice is a little hoarse. You know, I enjoyed myself. Celebrated a week, if you will. But I also think there's a little bug going around LA right now. So Coachella was just a little recent. Uh You know, that Netflix is a joke festival is going around Mm -hmm. uh, the past couple of weeks, which uh, I got to see some comedians over the last couple of weeks. Susan Zari, Dave Chappelle, Michael Che. So yeah, man, it was, it was been fun out here in LA recently. What about you, man? Uh, how's uh, how's the weather in Chicago treating you? Yeah, we're doing all right. It's uh, a little nicer, so yeah, yeah, we're doing all right here. Yeah, it's supposed to be nice this week, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, man. How was uh, how was Mother's Day? How was, Mother's uh, Day was how... nice. Yeah, we went to the Murray Brothers Caddyshack themed restaurant. Oh, yeah, dude. I uh, I hear good things. How was the food? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, food's right on point. It's good. Uh, atmosphere is really cool. A bunch of Bill Murray movie posters and Caddyshack quotes galore and yeah really cool my favorite movie of all time is caddyshack so right uh, on yes but that's where your mom wanted to go that's where she wanted to go so it was like cool yeah sounds great (laughs) nice sweet man yeah well let me tell you something brother today (laughs) we're going to be talking about wrestlemania 6 which saw hulk hogan and the ultimate warrior face off for the wwf championship in our last episode We left off where James Buster Douglas, who after defeating Mike Tyson, was a special guest referee at the main event on February 23, 1990. The event only had two matches on TV, Hulk Hogan versus Macho King Randy Savage for the WWF Championship and the Ultimate Warrior versus Dino Bravo for the Intercontinental Championship. Now Vince makes a point to address the change in that the special guest referee Mike Tyson was scheduled, but in Vince's words, at the last minute, his management pulled him out. Oh. Interesting, right? Interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. In our previous episode, we talked a little bit about Don King and Vince McMahon's plan to have a Mike Tyson-Hulk Hogan feud, but it was foiled due to Buster Douglas defeating Mike Tyson. The Macho King, Randy Savage, was glad that Mike Tyson pulled out because, see, the Macho King did a little investigation. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> he found out that Mike Tyson's great-grandmother is a loyal-to-the-bone card-carrying old comediac, and there's no way he could have called it right down the middle, 50-50 first way, no way in the world. No way, brother. No way. So Macho King then goes on saying that there's a new kid on the block, James Buster Douglas. See what he did there? New kid on the block? 
1990, so New Kids on the Block were the hottest boy band around. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, very topical. <laughs> it cuts to me and Gene Okerlund interviewing Buster. Buster being the impartial judge, he says, I'm going to call it, like I see it, right down the middle, 50-50. And if anybody starts shoving their weight around, boom, I'm going to knock them flat, just like Mike Tyson. Yep. Now, since yep. uh, the match was carried on NBC, they had commercial breaks. Now, it's interesting to see how they cut the commercial in the middle of a match. <laughs> Which you don't, oh, that's you right. You don't see that nowadays in Raw. No. no. Nah, no. It's like a, it's a really like a throwaway match when they do that kind of stuff. You know, it's like they'll uh, the guy gets thrown out of the ring, and then uh, you know they'll be like, "Oh, we'll be right back, folks." And right. Then, you know. Right. Yeah. Monster Douglas threw out Queen Sherry during the Hogan Savage match. You know, gave her the "You're out of here" and chases her back to the locker room. And like that's when they cut the commercial. Sure, 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 sure. And <laughs> they come back. Buster Douglas is coming back from rings to ringside. Yeah, that's great. By the way, folks, uh, for those of you uh, that are you know uh, listening to us right now, uh, me and Dave are are on a Zoom call right now, and uh, we've got some things in the background that we could see. You know, little Easter eggs, if you will, that we've been uh, switching up from podcast to podcast. And uh, Dave's got a really cool one behind him today. It's a little figure oh, of yes. Hulk Hogan. That is a nice touch, brother. I got to tell you, man, that, uh, where did you find that figure, man? That figure I've had, that figure is from 1990, my friend. That's, that's an OG figure right there, bro. It absolutely is. I had the ring. I had all the characters. I think I still have, uh, Smash from Demolition around. I can't find, I can't find anybody else. Like I had Warrior, I had all, I had them all, Big Boss Man and. You had to collect them all. Yeah. They were like the original Pokemon, man. Those little wrestling figures. Yeah, so you had the ring. I had the ring, you know. <laughs> do you remember the rubber ones, though, before those plastic ones? I do. The big, like, 12-inch figures? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, those things. You could really hurt somebody playing with those those old school, the ones from the 80s. But, yeah, the one behind me is uh, Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Hulkamania. Plus, yeah, man. Buster enjoyed himself. He had a blast. He said, Hulk Hogan is his kind of guy. And when asked what his next move was going to be, Buster Douglas responded by saying, the Hulkster and I were going out drinking. <laughs> drinking? My goodness, you can't be serious, not drinking. Sure, me and Gene, the Hulkster, he's a buttermilk man. Me, myself, I'm a whole milk man. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's classic. That's very wholesome. Right. Yeah, because, no. I mean... Hulk Hogan's image was was clean. Say your prayers. Was, eat your vitamins. Yeah. Yeah. Drinking, <laughs> drinking your milk. Yeah. <laughs> now that set the stage later for WrestleMania six with Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior for the WWF Championship being the main event. It was a big moment for the company as it had the two biggest faces go against one another: good guy versus good guy. Hulkamania was in full force, but the Ultimate Warrior was quickly becoming a fan favorite. With Hulk being the WWF champion and Ultimate Warrior being the Intercontinental champion, this would be the first time both championships would be on the line. It was pretty incredible, man. That was, uh, yeah, I mean, Ultimate Warrior was riding a hot streak after, you know, winning the title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I mean, dude, for any kid that was that age, you know, when we were growing up, when you saw Ultimate Warrior running to the ring, it just, it lit something in you. You were like, holy cow, who is this guy? Why is he so manic? And, you know, the guy's jacked. He looked right. like a real-life action hero, man. 
Right on. Yeah, for sure. So WrestleMania six took place on April 1st, 1990 at the Sky Dome in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This would be the first WrestleMania held outside the United States. And since it was held in Canada, the American National Anthem was not performed, but only the Canadian National Anthem. Now, Carlos, can you tell me who sang the Canadian National Anthem? Well, uh... I gave a couple of hints. Okay. Uh, he played a bad guy. He played a bad guy in Naked Gun Two and a Half, and has been impersonated by Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live. Quick staring contest. You win. <laughs> you always do. Oh, oh yes, Goulet. Goulet. Robert Goulet. Thanks for that. The national anthem. <laughs> Thanks for that one. I needed that hint. <laughs> right. That's uh, how I figured that. That's that's, that's what you know. I, I gotta say too, I gotta redeem myself on these trivia questions, Dave. You stumped me in that first episode, man. I was uh one out of three. I need to uh pick pick my uh stack game up. Well I try and come at you from all different directions, so You did. You did you, you threw me for a loop a few times, so <laughs> <laughs> So this, okay, awesome. uh, yeah, this WrestleMania had the mini ring carts that brought the wrestlers to the ring. Remember yep. those? Well, the yeah. Carts were t- yeah. Tiny versions of the WWF ring that brought wrestlers down the aisle and made them appear larger than life. Yeah. Sexuality was pretty much created for Andre the Giant and for WrestleMania three, so he wouldn't have to walk all that way in the Pontiac Silverdome. Yeah. 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 The ring carts were used in WrestleMania three and four. And was brought back for WrestleMania six because Andre was in this WrestleMania as well. Uh, there was only one match that wasn't televised, otherwise known as a dark match, as is customary for pay-per-views. The dark match had Paul Roma defeating the Brooklyn Brawler. Oh yeah, cool. probably one of the most notorious jobbers in the history of professional wrestling. Jobber meaning a wrestler who is specifically meant to lose. Thank you for that one, Dave, because I'm sure there are people <laughs> like, well, what is a jobber? Right. And I'll, yeah, there's a couple other wrestling terms that I'll make sure to say, that, you know. Now, the uh, first televised match was Coco Beware with his bird Frankie against Rick the Model Martel. Love Coco Beware. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Coco Beware was the man, dude. That little just, he had that pair on his shoulder, dude. Mm-hmm. He just had a, that vibe, bro. He was all vibe. Yeah, now, the model wins by submission via the Boston Crab. The next match is for the Tag Team Championship, which had the colossal connection of Andre the Giant and Haku versus Demolition, Axe and Smash. Now, after Andre the Giant got stuck in the ropes, Demolition was able to get a pinfall and become the new Tag Team Champs. After the match, the Colossal Connections manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan, was not happy with Andre. Bobby continues to yell at Andre in the ring and slaps him. Big mistake, Bobby. Yeah. Andre slaps him back, giving him the old paintbrush back and forth. <laughs> and, then, yep. and then Andre leaves the ring. And then Haku's in the mini ring. He throws Haku out of the mini ring and then leaves to thunderous applause from the crowd. Yeah. Now, Andre the Giant was in this match, but he, Haku actually wrestled the whole match without tagging Andre in. This would be due to his ongoing health issues, and it would be the last WrestleMania for Andre the Giant. Yeah, have you uh, seen that documentary on HBO? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I highly recommend anybody that uh, is a just a fan of wrestling in general. The Andre the Giant documentary on HBO is incredible. 
was a revolutionary wrestler and and a really good actor as well. Yeah, I mean, love Princess Bride. Hell yeah. Right? <laughs> now, the next match is a singles match featuring Earthquake with Jimmy Hart versus Hercules. Now, Earthquake is a Canadian and a former sumo wrestler who won three sumo wrestling championships in Japan. He's a legit sumo wrestler in Japan. That's awesome. That's really cool, yeah. Now, this match, uh, he was undefeated in the WWF, and this match would be no exception as Earthquake won by pinfall. Now, after the match, Rona Barrett, a Hollywood gossip reporter, do you remember her? I uh, vaguely I do, no. like, but she was a uh, kind of a mainstay in the first few WrestleManias as a, an interviewer in segments. Oh, okay. I do remember there was like a, like an interviewer that, but I didn't remember. Yeah, her. like I, I was like, oh. I mean, she was no mean gene. She right? was so. no mean gene, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, she was interviewing Miss Elizabeth about Miss Elizabeth's absence in recent months. And Miss Elizabeth, they kind of, you could tell they're kind of teeth in something because Miss Elizabeth, she felt she wasn't at her best and she didn't want to disappoint her fans. But set for something. Oh, up, I know exactly the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was kind of like uh, cryptic, you know, kind of teasing. Sure. Something that happened. Later. Yeah. Right. And you can also tell in that interview, too, that they were like to reduce the looting to some, something's off with Elizabeth. You know, they, they made it very dramatic. Like, yeah. obviously, with, you know, wrestling, it's, it's, it's a sort of a soap opera for men, if you will. And so, like, they were creating these storylines in advance, well in advance, knowing that, you know, they're going to eventually pit Macho Man, you know, Macho Man and, and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, the next match had Mr. Perfect with the Genius versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake. So I had a shot of Mary Tyler Moore was sitting ringside. For what reason? I don't know. When it's random celebrities at WrestleMania, that's always kind of a thing in WrestleMania. <laughs> she must have loved wrestling. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the match ended with a slingshot to the post by Brutus to Mr. Perfect. Now, Brutus the Barber Beefcake wins by pinfall after the match. The barber puts the genius in a sleeper hold and proceeds to cut his hair with clippers, as Brutus has been known to do from time to time. Mr. Perfect had, I mean, again, this guy's character was, he was perfect. He was perfect, right? He was perfect. <laughs> yeah. And so his hair, the way he walked, everything about this guy, you know, in the promos yeah. that he did. Kurt Henning was, was going to allow his hair to get cut in WrestleMania. No, that's mm -hmm. why they had the genius be the, the, the foil. Of that match. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Now, the next match you're not going to see if you're watching WrestleMania 6 on Peacock because it has been removed. It was a match between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Bad News Brown. Why, why? was this match removed? <laughs> yeah, why was this match removed? Because it had Roddy Piper in blackface makeup, he was half blackface. Half of Rowdy Roddy Piper's face was painted black. This was Vince's idea, not Piper's. And Rowdy Piper uh, recalled in an interview years later about the reactions he received. As I came out, nothing. So I had the match, I came back, and then this. Okay, so the stuff they had removed after the match, Vince made as a special solution. So. When he broke a sweat, the makeup wouldn't come off like the other makeup does. So it was a special kind of makeup that stayed on even after Roddy Roddy Piper was sweating in a match. So there was a Ooh. special clear solution to take it off. Now when he got there off backstage after the match, Lee started rubbing the cheeks. And about five minutes, it started bleeding. Andre the Giant had taken the solution out and poured water in it. <laughs> what? 
So the next day, <laughs> Piper had to fly from Toronto to Portland with a stopover in Chicago, all while wearing half blackface. No way, dude. Yeah. That is wild. I guess Roddy Piper was trying to go for a Cindy Lauper true colors kind of thing, but Bad News Brown did not see it that way. Uh, yeah. Uh, and for those of you that aren't familiar with Bad News Brown, he was a black man. Uh, mm-hmm. He's also a jobber, you know, notorious for getting his butt kicked in the rim, ring uh, to let other wrestlers get, Bad you know, a push. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't like that at all. No. Uh, then next segment sounds like something out of the board game Clue. You got Steve Allen on the piano in the shower room with the Bolsheviks. Now, the Bolsheviks featuring Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov are in an acoustically appropriate environment and are there to rehearse the Russian national anthem with Steve Allen. Now, Steve Allen does not play the Russian national anthem, but pokes fun at it by playing pretty much any other song but it, from anywhere from Chopsticks to I Get a Kick Out of You, much to the dismay of the Bolsheviks. I, I really enjoy these Steve Allen segments. He's a great straight man, and he's just... Straight to the camera, classic guy, warm voice, plays the piano a little bit, just genuinely really funny. So sure. I got a kick out of these. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's uh, that is funny though, man. Like that because it's such an uh, these characters, right? The, these Bolsheviks, that, uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> against him as like you know just a straight man, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Steve Allen is the creator of the original Tonight Show. So that's his uh, legacy and claim to fame. Uh, I guess I really enjoy the segments. Uh, so the Bolsheviks are facing the tag team of Brett the Hitman Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart, the Hart Foundation. Now, before the match begins, ring announcer Howard Finkel, a.k.a. The Fink, asks the audience to please rise and respect the singing of the Russian National Anthem. Now, as Volkov sings the Russian National Anthem is met with booze, the Hart Foundation had had enough and started attacking the Bolsheviks. Volkov goes flying out of the ring in the melee while the Hart Foundation hits Zukov with their signature move, the Hart Attack, gets pinned by Bret Hart, and as the ref is counting one, two, three, Bret Hart is looking into the camera counting with the ref. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude, that's ding, awesome. Ding, Dave, what is ding. their their finisher again, uh, the Hart? The Hart Attack. Uh, yeah, the when they attack. come up and they come up and come over the shoulder. Oh, that's right. So the, it usually throws the guy against the ropes, right? Yeah. So then they'll bring him up. Yeah, they'll come up and then they'll bring him down. Yeah. So Jim the Anvil Neidhart will, you know, throw the guy up, sort of up into his shoulders, right? He grabs mm-hmm. the guy off the ropes and Bret Hart will come and sort of swing around, if if you will. The guy's neck, right? Is that, yeah, is kind that of like kind of like a stunner in a way because he, yeah, he grabs the neck and then it's like a... And then brings the guy to the mat. Mm-hmm. Like a tag team effort. It's a truly uh, a great move. The whole match lasted 19 seconds. And then is that the fastest match? It is the fourth shortest match in WrestleMania history to date. It is the fourth shortest. Huh. After the match, you see a promo for the next year's WrestleMania 7 at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. The next match was a singles match between Tito Santana and the Barbarian with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Tito Santana had wrestled in every WrestleMania previously, a fan favorite who came close to winning the match when he took down the Barbarian with a flying forearm. Santana only got a two count because Bobby the Brain put the Barbarian's foot on the rope. 
The Barbarian battled back with a series of power moves, ending with a clothesline off the top. The Barbarian wins by pinfall, and the whole match lasted less than five minutes. Now, the next match is a history-making WWF match. The first-ever mixed tag team match. Man and woman on each tag team. The Macho King and Queen Sherry against the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and Sensational Sapphire. Rhodes and Sapphire come out second, and Dusty Rhodes says, Cut the music! A common practice nowadays in the WWE, but Dusty Rhodes, I feel, was one of the first wrestlers to truly incorporate that into his gimmick. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's that for sure. Oh, definitely. Also, something I noticed, Dave, that I think uh, the listeners may be wondering about, is that you referring to the WWE and then the WWF in the previous. And I don't know that our listeners are aware of uh, why you're referring to it as that. If you could uh, enlighten us, please. Uh, yes. Yes. It's, it's now considered World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE. Um, back in 1990, it was the World Wrestling Federation. So I, for the purposes of this podcast, I, I like to refer to it as WWF when it was happening sure. at the time. And then in current iterations of wrestling, when I refer to it as WWE. So it's kind of interchangeably. No, totally. The World Wildlife um, the Fund? World Wildlife? The World Wildlife Fund. The nonprofit yeah. organization sued the WWF for those three letters, and they won. And they couldn't allow themselves mm-hmm. to be called the WWF after that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that was uh, surprising, too. I mean, uh, because they had had that moniker for a number of years, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, mm-hmm. the, I'm, I'm referring to Vince McMahon and the, the WWF. Um, and so it wasn't until, like, I think the mid-90s, right? Where, when they finally decided to... later, yeah. I mean, I don't know the exact date. Yeah, uh, Um I'm still in a 1990 frame of mind, you know. Uh. Right. No, actually, I take that back. I think it was in the early 2000s. I believe so. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. it was after the, the Attitude Era and, and like, yeah, when they ended up dropping the F. And then it was really weird to see that logo without the two things on the end of it. It was just the W, the two W's with the F. Yeah. Such a classic logo. Yeah, it's it's a classic, yeah. And many wrestling fans consider Dusty Rhodes to be one of the greatest wrestlers on the mic of all time. Um, in the promo room of the WWE Performance Center, where Dusty Rhodes would teach promo classes uh, until his passing in 2015, there is now a puppet of Rhodes hanging in the on the equipment, symbolizing that he is still there watching the students. Nice. Oh, yeah. But he, what is, he says, cut the music. So what does he have to say? He's introducing... Miss Elizabeth! Uh, Miss Elizabeth, who had a, a long and complicated history with the Macho King. In real life, Randy Savage had been married to Miss Elizabeth since 1984, and their marriage would become kayfabe the next year at SummerSlam 91. The match made in heaven, the match made in hell. Now, kayfabe meaning as part of the storyline, for those of you not familiar with wrestling lingo. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. It is pronounced kayfabe, K-fabe right? It's kayfabe. Yeah. Right? K-fabe. Yeah, it's kayfabe. K-Y-F-A-B-E. Yeah. Kayfabe. Yeah. 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 Dusty and Sapphire won via pinfall. Now, the next match also being a tag team match, only this one was the Orient Express of Sato and Tanaka with Mr. Fuji against the Rockers of Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Near the end of the match, Marty retrieved Mr. Fuji's cane and was about to hit him with it when... 
Sato comes from behind and throws salt in his eyes. Now, Martigetti, yeah, he can't see. He's, it affects his vision so much that he walks right over the <laughs> railing and falls in front of the first row fans. The Orient Express win by countout. Yeah, that, that the countout was... Um, that's kind of one of the worst ways you want to see a match. Right? It really is. It's, yeah, no title uh, transfer. No one really wins in that situation. <laughs> but, uh, and it's it's really exaggerated, too, because the 10 count is like... It's like a 15 count, really. Right. And it's, and yeah, the, for a wrestler not to be able to get back in the ring, it's kind of ridiculous, right? <laughs> right. But, but that's entertainment, folks. That's showbiz, baby. Speaking of showbiz, and now to introduce rhythm and blues, Steve Allen. They've been called one of the hottest bands in the music industry today. Unfortunately, they are not here, so let me introduce instead the bands that are waiting our arrival. <laughs> That's great. Steve Allen's deadpan humor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Honky Talk Man. Yeah. For those of you who are not familiar with the Honky Talk Man, his gimmick was uh, to, uh, I mean, I guess, be just like Elvis. Elvis living, look exactly like Elvis. Came out with a guitar, like a baby blue, powdered blue, rhinestone jumpsuit. Now, they were interviewing... The Honky Tonk Man and Greg the Hammer Valentine, because they were about to release their new single, Honka, 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 Honky Love. That's a lot of honks. It is a lot of honks. That's one too many, I think. Now, the uh, the next match had Hacksaw Jim Duggan at an unfair advantage. He was facing Dino Bravo, but Dino had Jimmy Hart and the Earthquake at ringside. Now, they tried to use... Hacksaw's 2x4 against him, but when the ref wasn't looking, Hacksaw hit Dino Bravo with it, pinned him, and won the match. I'm a big... I, I, Hacksaw, I would, Hacksaw, man. I'm a fan. Ho! Ho! Yeah, I even had the uh, the foam 2x4. You remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had one of those. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Hacksaw Jim Duggan used to come down the ring with a big 2x4. An American flag. And an American flag. He was a really crowd favorite. Really, I was. have to say, like people, you know, he knew how to get the crowd pumped up. All he had to do was that, ho, and then you know, the whole you an echo of the stadium, mm-hmm. doing it right back. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, big fan. Now, uh, next up, the Million Dollar Championship featuring the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase versus Jake the Snake Roberts. Now, Jake lost by countout, but as Ted and Virgil were celebrating. Jake comes into the ring and does a double clothesline. It was excellently executed by all three of them because Jake clotheslined them and then the money in Virgil's hand comes flying out, spraying all over the ring. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> great shot. They, yeah, they cut to a wide angle. It's just as, as he clotheslines the both of them, the money goes flying out everywhere. So what does Jake do? He hands out $100 bills to the people in the first row. Yeah, hundred dollars is a lot of money in nineteen ninety, man. Yeah. Including Mary Tyler Moore. I mean, she didn't need the hundred bucks. She she should have like tossed it in the air, like like at the end of her show. <laughs> like her <your> cap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would have been great. Uh, yeah, that was a missed opportunity. I think. Yeah, that, yeah. You uh, just had you know, to be there. What are you gonna do? Yeah, he was just. She just. You know, yeah. She's a big fan. Yeah, big yeah, fan. Yeah. Virgil grabbed the million dollar belt, and then Jake the Snake chased them out of the ring. 
Oh, the what, Dave? What is the million dollar belt, by the way? It was a belt that Ted DiBiase gave for himself because he couldn't buy the championship belt, so he created this right. million dollar belt and uh, defended it was, himself, which we usually it just always yeah. had. <laughs> it was a diamond studded belt. No, it just uh, had money, and yeah. it was With yeah, it was a sick belt. It. it was awesome. Yeah, I love that belt. <laughs> you know what I mean, like. Floyd Mayweather should probably own that thing now. You know what I mean? Like, right. That is something that uh, you, you, I would see. He wish he had the charisma like, of Ted DiBiase. <laughs> oh man! And Virgil, as is Virgil. Virgil, was kind of a you know like one of the first male. I don't know what, what would you say like bodyguard, but a, a valet. He wasn't really a bodyguard, uh, but he was a, like a, val- a, yeah, valet. I mean, he was kind of an everyman who's kind of his sidekick or right hand guy, yeah, like, you know. Bobby the Brain Heenan, right? He was another. Mm-hmm. Man, like, I mean, yeah, know, manager. The yeah. wrestlers ringside. Right. I guess managers, right? Yeah, I mean. They were a, a tandem for sure. Until they weren't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Jake busted out Damien the Snake and then chased them out of the ring. Jake uh, the Snake Roberts. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Really cool character, Jake the Snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was always, uh, he had that, that boa that he brought down to the ring and scared the shit out of his opponents. It was great. It's great gimmick. The next match was a singles match between Hakeem, the African Dream, which was really a, a white guy, which is kind of weird looking back at it now. I mean, a lot of those characters were weird looking back at it nowadays. This is Let's true. Be real. This is true. Now, the big boss man, yeah, the big boss man, on the other hand, was a was actually a former corrections officer in real life prior to it being part of his character. Um and after a successful tag team partnership as the Twin Towers, the big boss man decided to go off on his own. Now, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, tried to buy off the big boss man, but he refused to be bought off by anyone. So even before big boss man can get in the ring, Ted DiBiase, who had been hiding under the ring, attacked the big boss man. Big boss man was able this. to recover and hit Hakeem with his patented side slam, to get the pinfall victory of his former tag team partner. Yeah, dude. Bossman used to come down the ring looking like a cop mm-hmm. and like beat people with his nightstick. Right. Yeah. That was he actually was. And handcuff people. Yeah. He would handcuff people to the ropes yeah. and beat beat them with his nightstick. It was wild. It was wild. To debut the song Hunka 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 Honky Love. Rhythm and Blues made their ring entrance with the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart in a pink Cadillac. Okay. Oh, yeah. And Carlos, do you happen to know who was driving that pink Cadillac? I'll give you a few hints. I think, I mean, I think I do. Uh, I mean, the pink Cadillac probably gives it away, right? Who's your first guess? It might not be who you think. Well, respect, baby. It's Aretha. Aretha Franklin. No, it's not. It is not a Aretha. Ah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's not ah. who you think it is. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then, give me a little hint. That's what I'm saying. I'll give you a few hints. He's a <laughs> WWE Hall of Famer. Now he wasn't on the WWF roster at the time, and would go to the WCW in 1991, and wouldn't join the company until 2001, and is now famous for his yoga videos. Uh, shoot. Not your mama's yoga. It's a tagline. Uh, dude, I don't know. Uh, Diamond Dallas Page. DDP. Really? Diamond Dallas Page was driving the pink Cadillac. Why? Because it was his car. 
They needed someone who had wow. a pink Cadillac. That is fantastic. <laughs> right. Right. Diamond Dallas Page at the time was trying to break in as a broadcaster. Now, DDP had wrestled a little bit back in 79, but didn't stick with it and was kicking himself when wrestling got huge in the 80s. Now, he toed wrestling out for a while and was managing a bar in Florida until one night when he was working in the bar, Jake the Snake Roberts came in. Oh, no way. Yeah. He's, yeah. So they hit it off and became friends. And then Jake let the other wrestlers know about the bar. And then that's what got DDP the motivation to get back into wrestling. Jake was a, a mentor to him. And things came full circle about 10 years ago when DDP helped Jake get his life back together. That's awesome. You know? Yeah, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, part. I did. I was like, what? Yeah, so yeah, there's this car. So DDP would make his WrestleMania debut as a wrestler 12 years later in the same building when WrestleMania would be at the Sky Dome for WrestleMania X8 in 2002. Wow. Yeah, cool stuff, right? That is cool. Cool little bit. Yeah, yeah. So the song Honka, 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 Honky Love was performed by the Honky Tonk Man, Greg the Hammer Valentine, along with two backup singers. Song's just what you think, a typical Elvis-style song with the words Honka, 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 Honky Love. It's the chorus. The <laughs> uh, song jo- goes just as planned, and the band even has two people at ringside ready to sell copies of the new hit single. But wait! It's not people selling copies. It's the Bushwhackers. They tear off their shirts they were wearing. <laughs> they charge into the ring, crash the celebration of the new hit single, and then proceed to smash both of their guitars like rock stars. <laughs> yeah. No, that was, uh, that's classic, dude. Right. It's, uh, yeah, you just, they, they pulled one on them. They really did. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was at this point in WrestleMania that, Howard Finkel, the ring announcer, announces the attendance. You want to take a guess? It broke a Skydome record attendance at the time. Uh, 103,000? Not, no, not quite. I don't think they... I mean, how, I don't know how many Their capacity, seats. It's, I don't know. It's, I mean, it was like less than... 70,000? 70, less the than most? 70. It was less than 70. It was 67,678. So nothing has broken WrestleMania 3, right? Attendance-wise, or did it, or has it recently been broken? I don't know. Well, wasn't the last one at Jerry's World? They could pack a hundred thousand in there. I don't know. I forget. I'm not sure. I think you're right. Actually, I think uh, I think that might be the biggest attendance. I think it's at the record at Jerry's World. Yeah, because the okay, so they had sixty-seven thousand six hundred seventy-eight. That record would be broken the next time WrestleMania would be at Skydome in two thousand two when they had 68,237. Now, there was a 16-year-old fan in attendance at WrestleMania 6 who wrestled in WrestleMania X8. He is a Hall of Famer, a Canadian, who actually just recently wrestled in WrestleMania 38 and in Backlash. Edge? Edge, yeah! Yeah! That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, dude. Yeah. That's great. So uh, let's see. Former Intercontinental Champion Ravishing Rick Rude had bigger goals on his mind in 1990. The Heenan family member was after the WWF Championship. His opponent, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, making his in-ring WrestleMania debut. Snuka had been a cornerman for Hulk Hogan in the first WrestleMania. Ravishing Rick Root didn't even wait for the bell to ring, attacking Snooka with clubbing blows. 
The two evenly matched superstars traded moves. Rude was able to take the superfly down with a suplex and then taunt the crowd with his patented gyrations. Now, Snooker was able to reverse momentum a bit and get to the top rope for his, one of his signature high-flying moves, but Rude got out of the way and hit him with a Rude Awakening and winning by pinfall. So, yeah, I did his little patented gyration, and ladies go nuts. Yeah, that was... <laughs> I've seen Rick Rude's character, man, was such a... He was very, basically a, sh- a chauvinist, right? right. Um, and... And then he had like his pants that had they had images of himself. Like That's this guy was and a- and now I was gonna point out that it's funny because yeah he's got an image of himself on his rear of his leotard, but it looks like Jack Black's character in Nacho Libre. That's <laughs> what <So> it immediately <laughs> reminded me of. Right? No, totally. Right. It's so funny. Uh, man, again, characters in the WWF. Right. Now, yeah, in early 1990, the WWF was dominated by two larger-than-life characters, WWF champion and Hulk Hogan and Intercontinental champion The Ultimate Warrior. Each had their own rivals and championship contenders, but their paths rarely crossed. That would change at the Royal Rumble. The two men were the only ones in the ring at one point, and they came to blows. Hogan helped eliminate Warrior, then went on to win the Royal Rumble match. I don't know if you happen to notice at the Royal Rumble that Shane McMahon was one of the ringside referees for the Royal Rumble that year. I mean, I'm sure if I saw the footage, I would be like, oh yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, because... Um, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, before he was Shane O'Mac, he was referee Shane Stevens. Now, he's o- he was only 20 at the time. But he would also be a ringside referee for Survivor Series that year. Oh, yeah, I did. I did remember hearing that he like refed a little bit right before he became. So yeah, he was at the ringside for the '90 Royal Rumble and Survivor Series. I'm like, oh, huh. Yeah. huh? What did you know? The Sky Dome was packed, and it seemed like the audience allegiances were split down the middle. Throughout WrestleMania six, all the wrestlers came to the ring on a mini ring cart but not the Ultimate Warrior. He insisted on running toward the ring as he usually did. Now, backstage, Vince McMahon didn't protest. He said, you heard him, boys. He's running out. Well, that's what that's yeah. what the Warrior did. That's what he did. That's what he does. Hulk Hogan didn't come out on that mini ring either. He came out in typical Hulkamania fashion to the tune of I Am a Real American, his theme song that pretty much every guy our age can recite the chorus to. <laughs> Uh, the two stood face-to-face during the official's instructions. Then Warrior surprised Hulk by giving a shove, who then shoved back. The two locked for an extended show of strength. Warrior had the early advantage, forcing Hogan to his knees. But Hogan got back to his feet, forcing Warrior down. When Warrior started to make a comeback, Hogan knocked him down, dropped an elbow, and attempted a pinfall. The warrior could not be held down and was able to slam Hogan to the mat and then clothesline Hulk Hogan out of the ring and onto the floor below. Now the fall seemed to injure the Hogan's knee as he was having trouble putting weight on it. Warrior can't win the title if the Hulk is counted out. So Warrior rolls the Hulkster back into the ring and began kicking Hogan's injured leg. Luckily Hogan was soon able to walk on the leg and go on the offensive. Hogan made several attempts to pin the Ultimate Warrior, but Warrior kept kicking out. Hogan then used a reverse chin lock to try to wear the Ultimate Warrior down. 
It looked like it was working until Warrior hit Hogan in the chest with a few big elbows, breaking Hogan's hold. Then both champions simultaneously clotheslined each other and crashed to the mat. That, yeah. Yeah, that was a big moment. That's right? the moment of the match. That's the moment of the match right there, dude. I think, David, so if I could just interject, man. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that beginning of the match, it's epic because you have these two titans of the industry at the time who are just staring each other off, dude. And the, the tension is so palpable, right? And then they do, they get into the shoving match, right? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hogan has the early advantage, as like the champ would uh, in most wrestling scenarios. But it, it goes back and forth, right, for a minute. But like that tension it, that built up just to them leading into the ring was just, it was awesome. And then when you see them both clothesline each other after battling it out for this first few minutes of the match, you're like, holy cow, what is going to happen? So Dave... What is going to happen? Ah, when Warrior recovered, he went on the offensive. Hogan's blows had no effect on him and kept knocking Hulk down with clotheslines. Warrior then began squeezing the life out of Hogan with a crushing bear hug. Hogan finally broke out of the bear hug, and in the ensuing aftermath, the Ultimate Warrior accidentally knocked out referee Earl Hebner. Hogan had Warrior down, but with the ref knocked out, there was no one to make the count. Warrior then suplexed Hogan, but again, the ref is still knocked out. Once the official awakened, each guy got a near pinfall. Then, to the crowd's amazement, the ultimate warrior gorilla-pressed Hulk Hogan. Dick. Yeah, that was a big... What, uh... So gorilla press, folks, is when you take that person and literally lift them right over your head. And the Ultimate Warrior was known for this move, right? Mm-hmm. Of just picking somebody up, just sh- it didn't matter how big they were, right? He literally just pressed them over his head and then walked forward and just let them drop to the mat, you know, seven, eight feet in the air. Right. It was it was a pretty devastating move at the time, right? But um, mm-hmm. yeah, there are some classic tropes in this match. You know, the the ref getting the knocked, knocked out. out. Yeah, yep. that's that's a classic trope. The bear hug back in the day. That was mm-hmm. like a that was a move to like not only you know get give the wrestlers a little a breather so to speak, but it was a, a way for them to strategize the rest of the match going forward. Right. Yeah. When they were on the floor, double clotheslined, that they needed a little eight to nine second breather. You know, yeah, just <laughs> and 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 a lot of times when wrestlers are on the mat like that, they're whispering what they're what what's about to happen. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. Not to not to give away anything that people don't already know, but it's, uh, those are the moments when they pay attention. If you're a wrestling fan, you can tell when they're like right. setting stuff up. And the ref is in on it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave, Dave, kayfabe, kayfabe, kayfabe. kayfabe. <laughs> Now, it seemed like it was Hogan's match to win as he hit Warrior with a big boot to the face and was set to deliver a signature leg drop finish. Yeah, that big boot is the setup. That's the setup move to the the leg drop. And if you got that big boot, folks, it was almost, it was game over, folks. You're about to get that leg. But at the last second, Warrior rolled out of the way splashed Hogan, and covered him for the three count. Unbelievable. After the match was over, Hulk Hogan grabbed the championship belt from the announcer's table, went into the ring, and presented it to Warrior in an incredible show of sportsmanship. It was a great moment for the two superstars, the fans in attendance for every fan that has watched it since. 
Yeah, dude, that was a really awesome ending to a match, for sure. Because, like, you really didn't know who was going to win. It was that. It was, it was literally kind of a coin flip. Nobody knew mm-hmm. uh, who mm-hmm. was going to win. And so, you know, for the fact Hogan, the, not let the Warrior win, but a lot of times in the industry, it's a hard thing to do to give up the belt. And, uh, yeah. Yes, yes. But he was playing the long game. Right. These men were two of the biggest superstars in the WWF at the time. And this match was dubbed by many fans as a passing of the torch moment. But Hulk Hogan revealed in April 2021 that he pitched an interesting idea to Vince McMahon. Vince believed that Hulkamania had run its course and something needed to change, hence making Ultimate Warrior the champ. But Hulk Hogan had an entirely different idea altogether. Now here's what Hogan had to say. Well, how about this? When I put him over and hand him the belt and everybody's cheering for him, I get halfway down the aisle, how about I just turn around and just grind him? Just drop him and drag him around the ring. I want to be Hollywood Hulk Hogan, I said. I want to be Triple H Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the ultimate bad guy. What? Triple H, the ultimate bad guy. Sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Good. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. That he he came up with that character, you know, like that, that he had that inception for that character back then. Yeah, he must have planted the seed in Vince's brain and Vince's... Seriously. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, here you go. Right? And, uh, you know, like with... uh, Speaking of things about, you know, planting seeds, you know, uh, Vince Vince McMahon had the character of The Undertaker, you know, for for years, I guess, uh, before... But he was just waiting for the right wrestler to use that character on. And then along came... Yeah, it's funny. The man known as The Undertaker. Yeah, oh, yeah, so... Vince didn't agree with Hogan's pitch to turn heel and would remain a babyface, including having his own team for Survivor Series and winning the Survivor Series with the Ultimate Warrior. Now, that Survivor Series is a memorable pay-per-view for two reasons. One, the gobbledygooker. You remember the gobbledygooker? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. In the weeks leading up to the Survivor Series, the WWF began hyping a new character by displaying a large egg at shows. There was a speculation. It was so, <laughs> it was... so stupid. It was, was so like, what is this? What is this? There was speculation as to who or what was in the egg. The most popular fan theory was Ric Flair. A lot of fans thought that Ric Flair would make the leap from WCW to WWF. And on Thanksgiving night, the gobbledygooker hatched and emerged, and the fans immediately <laughs> booed. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty, how do you say, uneventful moment. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't think it, it went the way that they wanted it. To. Absolutely not. Yeah. Now the concept for the gobbledygooker was that it would serve as a turkey mascot for the WWF akin to the San Diego chicken mascot from Survivor Series was on Thanksgiving that, that, oh, uh, it's for one it's a terrible name A two if you're gonna rip something off like come on man like uh, at least be a little more <laughs> a little more original with it. right I mean come on yeah seriously now the other reason yeah. the 1990 Survivor Series was so memorable 
was that it was the debut of a guy who we'll be talking about in every other WrestleMania going forward. A guy that would not lose a single WrestleMania match in the 90s. I'm talking about The Undertaker. But more on him and the rest of the WWF superstars next season when we cover WrestleMania 7. Before we go, it's time for a segment we like to call In the World That Week. In world news, the U.S. government began broadcasting television to Cuba via Radio Television Marti, an American state-run radio and television station financed by the federal government through the U.S. Agency for Global Media, which transmits news in Spanish to Cuba. In the U.S., the 62nd Academy Awards took place with Billy Crystal hosting the Oscars for the first time. Greatest host of all time. I concur. Driving Miss Daisy won for Best Picture. Number one movie at the box office that week. Give you a hint. Mm. One word hint. Pizza. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. yes. At $25.3 million opening weekend at the box office. Great film. Classic. <laughs> Classic. The top song in the UK that week? Come on, strike a pose. Let your body oh. move to the music. Oh, Madonna. Nice. <laughs> Vogue. Heck Madonna. Yeah. So that wraps it up for another episode of Sports in the 90s. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also email us at sportsinthe90s at gmail.com. Next episode, we're going to be talking college basketball, specifically UNLV, the run-in rebels of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. We'll be going into their historic run as well as the career of their coach, Jerry Tarkanian. Until next time, this is Dave Smith. And Carlos Vega, reminding you folks that uh, whenever you uh, decide to go out and enjoy a game, if uh, you decide to imbibe, make sure you uh, think when you drink. And uh, as always, uh, when you're done with that beverage, throw it in the proper receptacle. Please reduce, reuse, and recycle whenever possible. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. It's been a great one, brother. All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Sports in the 90s. 